Hey, hey, this is Takara, and you are listening to A Letter to My Sister podcast. You are in the right place if you are raised to be a strong, independent woman who didn't have to depend on anybody for anything, but then you realize there were some lessons that you didn't quite get as you were going along the way. We often go through life the best way that we know how, and we don't even realize that there's a better way. So in here, there will be some raw and real conversations surrounding life lessons about the things that we wish that we had known, maybe about self, love, money, and even our careers. So if you're new here, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and I would love for you to leave a rating and review as well. So now that we've got all that out the way, let's chat, sis. Hey sis, so today I wanted to tackle the area of relationships. Remember I said that relationships is about having people treat you right the first time, but what if you don't even understand that there are some underlying traumas or triggers that kind of explain why you do the things that you do. So before we can require someone to treat us right, we have to know what's affecting us underneath the surface. And who better to do that than Courtney, who is a marriage interventionist. So she's going to help us break down some of these nuances, traumas, triggers, and she's even going to answer some questions from some of the Instagram followers. So listen up. Courtney, how are you today? I'm well, how are you? Oh man, I'm fantastic. What I'm really excited to talk about is this conversation. You know, I got a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of questions about family dynamics and trauma and the effects that that can have on a marriage. So I figured who better than a marriage therapist to ask some of these questions too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. Okay. So let's hop into these questions. So I'm going to hop into the very first question. Okay. And that one is, how do we even begin to bring up the idea of counseling with a significant other? Wow. Oh gosh. That that just depends, right? So it depends on a couple of different things. It depends on the nature of the relationship. So is this something like is this a fresh relationship? Is this something that you guys have um like I guess and also like what's what's happening to where you think this person needs counseling? So are they having outbursts? Because if that's if it's an outburst, then they're probably gonna be a little bit more aggressive and definitely kind of guarded when you're talking about counseling. So my go-to and that I use even in my own marriage is whenever I'm going to bring up difficult conversations or things that I know can be a bit challenging, I try to do it when things are good. I think sometimes we bring up new topics and we bring up, try to introduce new things when things are heated, right? So it's like if we're arguing, we're spit spatting, and then like, you need to go to therapy, you need to go to counseling. Like, nobody's receiving that. <laughs> so, <No. laughs> so it's like if we're, you know, maybe out to dinner and we're saying, hey, you know, I noticed lately you've been doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. 
I, I think it might be a good idea to talk to somebody about it and just kind of see what's going on there. I mean, I'm open to going and, ju and just kind of make it conversational and not like an accusation or like pointing the finger, like I'm finding fault in you. I think that that would be a, a good way to to bring up the idea. I think that's a good idea to to do it when when mm -hmm. things are well. So would you recommend this in new relationships and experience? In experience, I'm just going to give a magic number of yeah. 10 well, years. Well, you know, <laughs> I, yes. Like, I think it's always better to, to kind of have those those challenging conversations when things are good. But when you're more seasoned, right? Like, I, I if, if it's a healthy relationship, then I think that you should probably know each other's heart, right? So it's like me and my husband married 12 years. And so if I say something, even when we're having, you know, an argument, I think he, he should know my heart and know that I'm not trying to be ugly or be condescending or anything like that. So, you know, if it's more seasoned, you may be able to kind of approach it a little bit different. But either way, I don't think you can lose if you have that conversation in a, in a, calm, in a calm space. So in your experience, how have you seen different family dynamics affect a marriage. The main one that comes to my mind is maybe someone who grew up in a single parent household versus someone who grew up in a two parent household. I imagine the way that they see marriage and the way that they see that possibly functioning is entirely different. And I don't feel like sometimes we have those conversations up front to say, well, actually, how do you see things or, or how have you seen them? And even if it was a two-parent, right. what was it healthy? That's, that's a really good question because I think that even like even if it's not intentional, I think that we bring in our own stuff. Like we bring in what we saw um, on both from the from the husband and from the wife. I think we bring that in just naturally, not even thinking about it. We're implementing things that we saw. We're implementing things that we experienced. So I, I think it, it just happens naturally. But like you said, to your point, it's, it's so great whenever we can have that conversation ahead of time. And I think those, those are the healthier relationships when we can talk about our family dynamics. How were you raised? Um, what did you see in terms of parenting? How did your mom handle things? How did your dad handle things? How did you respond? Were you heard as a child? Or did you always have to kind of act out to get your way? Like that's gonna tell you a lot about what you're gonna see in that relationship if that person hasn't really dealt with that. So I think family dynamics are are huge. Both, you know, whether it was a negative or a positive, we want, we're gonna bring that stuff in. I just think it's it's natural. But having the conversation up front to your point is really the key to navigating it and making sure that we don't perpetuate things that we don't want to see in our current relationships. So how does one operate if they weren't necessarily exposed to marriage. And I'll just use myself as an example. Thinking of both sides of my family, I can really only think of two married couples and that's it. And that was, and both of those were on my father's side of the family in which I only saw them during the summer. So during the school year, I did not, I wasn't exposed to marriage at all because I was with my mother. And then even for that side of the family, there there really weren't a lot of marriages. And if there were, I I did not lay eyes on them. I didn't see how they functioned. I didn't see that. 
So how does one operate that? Because even when I look back on my own marriage, I kind of feel like some of the things that I took was just bits and pieces of what I thought a good marriage looked like. And listen, some of that could have been <laughs> from the Cosby show. <laughs> I may have been like, look, I want a little bit of Mari and Gina, a little bit of, of my wife and kids. <laughs> so it's like, well, how, how do you even begin that conversation or even have a healthy view of what marriage looks like if you've never even seen it or, or, or even yeah. make it realistic? Maybe that's a better question. Yeah, that, I think that's really good because it's like, how do I do something that I've never seen, right? Like, I'm just kind of out here winging it and trying to do something. But I think, like you said, even even being exposed, you know, for a very short, short period of time to the marriages that you were exposed to, you can look at those and say, okay, they did this really well. Like, they communicated really well. They had family dinners together. But on the other hand, when they argued, man, it was terrible. You know, not saying that that's what happened, but I'm just saying like just taking dynamics from what you saw and saying this is what I think was done really well. And these are the things that I I would definitely not want to see in my marriage. And even if it's television, right? Like what are they doing well? What are they not doing so well? If you don't have exposure to that, and I understand what you're saying about, you know, seeing it in your immediate circle and not being able to just see it on camera. Um, but if you haven't been able to have access to that, um, maybe if it's outside of the family, so maybe it's, it's somebody in the church that that's married or in your community that's married, say, hey, Miss so-and-so and Mr. So-and-so have been married X, Y, Z amount of years. Maybe I can have a conversation with them about, because most couples love to talk about their marriages if they're doing well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we like to share our pitfalls. We love to share how we overcame those. Um so most couples like to talk about their marriages. Um, and if that's not an option, then I would say do premarital. So even if, and I know I may think a little bit different about this, but I think that premarital counseling can be for people, even if you're not about to go down the aisle. I think it's important to be able to have those conversations. Like, listen, this is something that I desire. And I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I have realistic expectations on what I can expect. What does healthy look like? And maybe have those conversations with the professional. So I think that I think it's a few ways to do that and not without having seen it inside of your home. And then also looking at what's 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 healthy for you. Like what would you identify as healthy? If you were to cook a cake, bake a cake, you know, what ingredients would you think or would you want to put in there to 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 create this masterpiece of what you want it to be? And go from there, kind of like a, like I said, some an, an ingredient list. You know, I want somebody to communicate well. I want somebody who can argue effectively, just all the things. You can always pivot, you know, if that's not great. But, you know, having those kinds of conversations with a premarital person or community, I, th I think would be helpful. What do you think hearing that? Yeah, I mean, I actually think that's a very good idea because... I've never thought about premarital counseling before because it sounds like what you're saying is you're talking about this before the engagement mm -hmm. part. You're talking about this kind of when you all are exclusive, maybe getting a little bit right. more serious just to make sure that. But I think that's a great idea because at least now you both have a very good picture of what it is that you want. And this is when you can see whether you all are in alignment or if you all are looking at things the same way and making sure you're handling 
maybe some expectations that you haven't voiced? Because I know sometimes that's a really that's a big, big thing as well. <laughs> that's a big deal. Those un- those unspoken expectations, they, they are a big deal. They are a very big deal. And so, yeah, you're right. Like I've recommended it before to a couple who they were not engaged, but they had been together for a number of years. They thought there was something they may want to do. And so I just think their premarital counseling is great because you can leave that with knowing hey, this, we definitely want to do this or like, "Mm, I don't think so, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, And even with that, something that I wish that I had done previously was I did get premarital counseling, but we did premarital counseling through a pastor that my, that my ex-husband knew. And so I have two takes. I have two takes on this. I feel like if you are going to go through the route of the church, and I feel like you, if you do that, you should still go with an actual therapist. Mm-hmm. So that's one. But I also feel that there could come a time where if you're going through like the pastoral route, uh-huh. if that person knows you and you're getting into some of those sensitive topics you may not be as open with them because you don't want them to see you in a particular light Mm -hmm. or with that. So I think sometimes it's really best for you to have a neutral party so that you're able to be more open with each other. But not only that, I feel like an actual therapist can really help you dig deeper into some of these things because we weren't really at, we were asked some questions, basically kind of our order of priority. Like, where do I see self, spouse, money, career, kids, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't asked, um, you got, you got some family trauma, mm-hmm. family dynamics. I don't rem- either, or let me say, I don't remember being asked those types of questions for us to consider because definitely I grew up single parent household for the majority. And then um, my ex-husband grew up in a two parent household with siblings. So I'm like single parent household, only child, (laughs) two parent household. That's two completely different dynamics. And it took us quite a while to find kind of our footing with how things were because I like peace and quiet. That was what I was used to as an only child. And it was like, for him, no, we got to be up. We got to be active. It's got to be noise. It's got to be this. And even still, all of that was also an adjustment for us to make as well with that. So I definitely think that premarital counseling piece is very, very zupa important. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You made a really good point about um, the church. Like, and I can see what that would be a really big deal, especially if it's a smaller church, right? Because everybody kind of knows everybody. And so it's like, all right, you know, they're going to probably see that I went to go meet with pastor after church, you know, but some of the bigger ones, it may not be as big of a deal because like, y'all don't know, I even go here without, you know, a personal relationship. So I can definitely see that. And then the other thing about meeting with people who we know, so whether it's you or your husband know, is that sometimes we're not going to share everything because we we don't want to really expose all the things, right? So it's like if your husband knows this guy or whatever, it's like, I don't know if I really want to say all of that. And then 
he probably knows stuff that you probably haven't told him yet. So I think that there are so many different levels to working with people that we already know, unless we were working with them already in like a mentorship capacity, then that's a little bit different. But just getting counsel from them right when it's time for us to get married, I can see how they will present some issues. And so you're right, seeing a counselor, therapist, something like that would definitely give you a little bit more, it'll be more discreet. Like you're not having issues with confidentiality. You're not having issues about somebody taking sides, hopefully. And, that'll get, <laughs> and if they're trained, because I want to be honest, not all counselors and therapists are trained in trauma. And I know that that's kind of weird to some people, but they're not all trained in trauma. So sometimes they don't ask those questions either. It's just about how are you guys getting along? How are you guys going to handle the money? How are you guys going to handle the kids? And then are you ready to do this, make this commitment? So ideally, you'd have a counselor who's trained, who can ask those underlying questions about trauma and then help you guys make a, you know, a better decision. That's a good point. So two things just came to mind for me. And one of those was, what if there is a spouse who grew up kind of in a tumultuous household, like if a parent was abusive or if they were even you know, molested or something like that as a child, how does one navigate that? How does one talk about that? So you mean from like, if, let's say if I was molested, how would I have that conversation? Or if I know my spouse was molested, how would I have that conversation with him? Well, you know, I think it may be either or because it, it seems that For some people, either they don't talk about it and it just so happens to come up sometimes Mm -hmm. or, or it's like, well, they'll say it, but, but you can see that maybe they're not that comfortable with it. Then how do, how do you even broach that topic to say, well, you know, this could affect us down the road. That's so good. I've made a, I had a post the other day on my Instagram that said, let's create trauma-informed relationships where I know my trauma history, you know your trauma history, and then we both know how that impacts our marriage or our relationship. And I think that that's like relevant to what you're asking. For me, you know, a lot of the issues that I had in my childhood around, you know, sexual abuse and things like that didn't come up until I was married for me. Like, I guess I had kind of suppressed them and just kind of forgot that it even happened. And so when I got married and there were moments where, you know, obviously there's times to be intimate, that's when it came up. That's when it started to, you know, come to the surface. And so for me, I've just always been really open because like we were married at that point. And so it's no, it's no like, okay, we've only been together six months. So do I want to tell you, do I not? But we were already married. And so I've been very open about like, these are the things that have happened. Um, This is how they're showing up. This is how they're impacting me. And so that, that gives him an opportunity to better understand me. So I'm not really, that's how I look at it. I understand myself and I want to help you to understand me as well. And on the opposite side of that coin, I've had conversations with him like, hey, you, this is very interesting how you handle certain situations. Do you think maybe it has something to do with the way you were raised? Maybe, you know, something that you forgot about. So I'm just like, I just ask the questions, <laughs> but that's me, you know, but I can understand how there would be a, a tough conversation because like, you don't want to open up that can of worms. And one, they did experience something. So how do I handle that? And then two, 
if they didn't, I probably just offended you, right? So I just think it depends on the relationship dynamic, your comfortability um, with talking about it. And again, just kind of goes back to the counseling and therapy piece where if you don't feel comfortable enough yourself having that conversation, then that's a good place to do it. You know, like we have some things coming up. We're really not sure if this is rooted in trauma or some childhood issues and we can really use some help helping us to figure that out. Okay. So another piece of trauma that I am thinking about is one who lost a parent, the same sex parent. And so they're like, well, I do want to get married, but I don't understand what that would look like for me as a woman or what that would look like for me as a man, because I did not have that in my, mm-hmm. in my purview would that kind of be still on the same realms of not being exposed or would that be different since actually they did have a parent at some point, but then they lost them maybe suddenly or in some kind of tragic way or. Yeah, I think either way, like, I think that even if let's say, for example, if you had, you know, your mom in your life and she, you know, passed away but before that you still have experiences of that if you were old enough to remember her so that's definitely going to impact how you see women how you see yourself if you're the woman um how you're going to show up in that relationship you're going to probably bring some of that stuff in with you Um, like i said even if she didn't say or directly tell you this is how you conduct yourself as a wife you're just going to naturally see some of that now obviously it's different if let's say you were an infant and you lost your mom and you didn't see her well then you're going to base that on other women that you have seen. So for me, I know that I was, my mom worked a lot. So obviously I got that component from her, but then I also spent a lot of time with my grandmother and I saw my grandmother serve my grandfather. Like she cooked, you know, she fixed his plate and brought it to the table. She, you know, fixed his coffee and and brought it to the table. So I saw all of those different things, even though my mom wasn't physically present all the time, she was always working. So I was able to pull different pieces of that. And I think that all of those things kind of make me who I am, honestly. Thank goodness for grandmothers. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness for grandmothers. Because that is the one example that I had was my my grandparents. And my grandmother is my example. Because I was like, "I, I have no idea how this woman does it. I just don't. <laughs> but she had a way of making all of us grandkids feel special in our own way and still had, you know, time for my for my grandfather and they had this little cute banter that they would do mm-hmm. back and forth, but you you could see the love just between the two of them. Thank yeah. goodness for grandmothers. <laughs> yeah. Now, for me, I don't know that I saw the love. Like, I knew that they loved each other. But what I did get from her was that she served him whether she felt like it or not. That's what I got. Like, a lot of the time she'd be fussing about something. I don't know. It, it, even if it was something that maybe hurt her back when they were younger. I remember her having those conversations. But I also saw her serve him without question. It wasn't a day where it's like, you know what? I'm pissed today and I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. She served him and not even serve like you know she was at his feet or you know what I mean like serving but she did take good care I guess and that was her role and I'm sure that's probably what she saw Mm -hmm. right as a little girl so um but yeah I agree with you thank God for (laughs) our grandparents because she was definitely 
where I spent a lot of my time um, as a little girl. Now, that was a good point that you made. We may not necessarily see the love, but we see the action. So I think that's a really, really, really key point that you make there, especially if you look on social media and you you see a lot of people saying, well, well, we want the relationship of our grandparents, but who's to say that Big Mama was happy and mystery kids and, and all these other things, but you're right. Okay, we, yeah, we may not have seen the love properly, but we did see the action and that was a piece that we could take from right. it, like a, a um, what is it? Um, chew the meat, spit yeah, out the bones. Spit out the bones yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> chew the meat, spit out the bones. Okay, so here's the next question that I had. I still somewhat on family dynamics, okay. kind of, and and that would be for maybe those that were previously married, and they want to be married again, but maybe the first marriage was so just draining, possibly even toxic, that they're like, I want to but I don't want Mm -hmm. to, because I certainly don't want to make that mistake again. Mm -hmm. What action, I guess, what action steps does one, does one take? What is the thought process? What is the mindset for that individual? Yeah. I think that it would definitely require more intentionality, like the next time around, you know, just depending on what age you were when you got married, like there are probably a lot of things that were overlooked. And I think a lot of us can admit like, yeah, I probably, I probably saw that. Mm-hmm, I saw mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? And we can definitely be intentional the next time around. And I think dating, I think dating should be purposeful. Like it's 2021. <laughs> I feel like we should all be intentional about how we date, right? Like, there are some absolutes that I know I cannot, I cannot deal with. There are certain conversations that I have to have before I can even consider you being the, the person for me. Um, and so experience, yes, it's hard and it's painful, but it's our best teacher. Like it's so it's it's our best teacher. And so I would say, you know, when you're ready, right? Because you don't want to rush into that and you don't want to um, show up in the way that says I'm wounded, I'm hurt. And so now everybody else is suspect. Um, and so sometimes we don't, we do it unintentionally. Like we just kind of show up and like, mm-hmm, what, what, what's, what's your deal? What's going to happen with this? Um, so I think just being intentional, thinking about what you want. And even if you don't know what you want, what is it that you don't want? Like, I know I don't want mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z the next time around. And just being more intentional, opening up your heart. Because there is someone out there. I do. I know it's so hard, though. Like, I've been married 12 years. And so I get the conversations around. Ain't nobody, ain't no good guys or good girls <laughs> out here. They are. But we just kind of, <laughs> we're just so wounded, though. And I get it. Um, but I would say just be intentional and have the hard conversations ahead of time. Like, listen, what should, you know, what, what how were you raised? How are your parents? I always look at how did, you know, how do you treat your mom? What's that dynamic look like? Are you respectful to her? You know, are you, do you blow her off? Because mm-hmm. you're probably do the same thing to me. You know, like I look at all of that, even though we are, you know, beyond that point now, but I still kind of pay attention to dynamics. It's like, hmm, yeah, I can see why he, did, you know. So okay. I would say be intentional about it this time around. And then, so with that, of course, with trauma comes triggers. Mm-hmm. So how do you handle a trigger? How do you even recognize that it's a trigger? And then how do you address the trigger? Yeah. <laughs> you said it. That was going to be what I said first. You have to first recognize it. Like if you don't recognize that it's a trigger for you, 
then you just keep doing life and living. I, I always describe it like as something pulling your strings and you just kind of moving around. And so when it, anytime I'm working with clients, that's my first conversation. Let's get clear on what your triggers are. Maybe it's a song and triggers are so subtle. It can be a song. It can be a place. It can be a person. It can be food. It can be smells. It can be movies, right? So when we're talking about, especially for women or guys who are in relationships with people who have been hurt, been betrayed, been cheated on, we can't watch the Lifetime movies that have all these scenes where there's cheating going on. Oh, yeah. Because I can assure you <laughs> that when that goes off, you're going to be looking at your spouse like, mm-hmm, yeah, I, you, you, that's just what it is. That's mm-hmm. a trigger. Um, So get really clear on your triggers. One way that you can do that is whenever you feel the feelings or the emotions or the anger, the sadness, the anxiety, try to think back to what happened right before that. Like kind of do this trace. Like, okay, I was good this morning when I got up. I cooked breakfast. I ate. I was good. You know, I went on and ran out and made grocery, blah, 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 blah. But right around this time is when I started to get, and it takes work to do that. But that's the best way for me because I do this all the time. I trace my day back. Like, okay, what happened? Yep, that's what it is. That's what it is. And once you get clear on it, then you can learn to do something different. So if you can be proactive, like, okay, I already know I have to go for me. Going back to my hometown is a trigger for me. I know that. And so I have to remind myself that, okay, you're okay. You're going to be safe. You're going to go for this amount of time and you'll be back home. And so just really that self-talk is what's important. Once you understand what your triggers are, you can be more proactive and then you can kind of do the positive self-talk um, to help you navigate them. I know that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, but it but it's good. And then so my next question was, how do you enlist the help of your spouse through that process? So I, I all of these are personal examples. I had I just had a conversation with my husband about it. Like, listen, you know, we, and we're from the same hometown, right? So- my experience isn't his his experience there. Yeah, he can go at the, with a drop at the drop of a hat, and it's no issue for him. But for me, my heart starts racing. I'm all I'm agitated the entire time. I'm sad. I'm annoyed. I'm all the things. And with me having that conversation with him, like, listen, this represents pain. This represents trauma. This represents abuse. This represents neglect for me. So. This is a trigger for me. And I'm saying that to you so that you can better understand me because for a while, I just thought I didn't want to go. I didn't know it was Mm -hmm. a trigger. So I just thought that it was random that we would always get into an argument every time it was time to go back home. (laughs) Like all of a sudden you change and then you're doing something different, but not realizing that that was a trigger for me. Um, And so having a conversation like, listen, I've identified that I can't go to this place anymore just arbitrarily. I have to prepare myself for that or or else I'm probably going to get upset with you and we're going to probably be arguing because I'm triggered. So the more clear you are, the better you can communicate that with your spouse and say, hey, this is what this bothers me and this is what I need from you. You know, if you can be more supportive, if you can be a little bit more patient with me, I, I definitely appreciate it because this is what's going on. It's not you, but this is a trigger for me. Now, would you recommend that triggers are addressed in the moment? I feel like sometimes what we as women do is something will happen. It'll trigger us. 
we'll be mad. <laughs> then we're quiet. Then we sleep on it. Uh-huh. Then we meditate on it. <laughs> and then we come back and be like, let me tell you about two weeks ago when, when you did. <laughs> yeah, I, listen, I know I'm going, the, I'm going through the motions with you as you're saying it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I wouldn't. Again, it goes back to, you know, having conversations when things are kind of calm, you know, obviously in the moment when you're triggered, if you haven't stopped that thought, and I always tell clients, you have five seconds to get rid of a thought. So if you've not gotten rid of that thought, that trigger and told it where to go, and so now you're acting out of it, you're having a trauma response, it's going to be hard to have a rational conversation in the moment, I think. You're going to have to come out of that. You're going to have to remind yourself that you're safe, that you're not being attacked, whatever else your mind is telling you um, before you can probably have a rational conversation about it. But I would say like when you come out of it, though, yes, have that conversation. Yeah. And is that how you get rid of the trigger? Like you were saying, just telling yourself, all right, this is not what it looks like. I'm safe. Like I, I always say that I don't think triggers ever stop. I just don't. That's just my personal belief. I I have been out of situations for over 20 years and I still get triggered if I'm in a certain environment, if if there are certain conversations, if I have a dream, I'm still triggered. But I talk myself and let myself know that I'm safe, that it's okay, that, you know, because once your body feels safe, your mind feels safe. Your body is what's reacting Mm -hmm. to what it's familiar with. Your body is what remembers that event. And so when you're triggered, your body responds like it's just now happening in this moment. So give yourself a chance to come out of that. Remind yourself that you're safe. We can get through this. You know, this is temporary. You know, we've already lived 20 years past this event. You know, different tactics that you might want to, you know, talk through. And then you can kind of move out of it. Okay. Now, do you think that relationship dynamics are different based on age? So for instance, if you got married in your early 20s versus you getting married in your late 30s, early 40s, or even beyond that. <laughs> and how does that affect <laughs> yes, no, right? We got married in our early 20s. And obviously we, you know, we had we came in with some junk. We were a mess. Um, <laughs> we were a hot mess. But I've also spoken to couples who are in their 50s. And they have conversations that we're not having in our 30s. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, yo, you guys are knocking on 60. And y'all are talking about these kinds of things that we talked about, you know, in our 20s. So I, I just think it depends on the maturity level, honestly. I really do. I think people can be 50, 60 years old and still not have dealt with their stuff and basically stuck in, at a 17-year-old. Really? That's true. That is true. So what was my next one? Okay. So my other one about family dynamics that I'm thinking about now is um, blended families. So now how does that work for maybe a parent who has been raising their children solely on their own, like barely has any assistance from the other parent, then they get married, blend these families. How do you do that? Because I hear a lot about people saying, well, it's hard for me to accept the help now of my new spouse because they haven't been here or my new spouse can't discipline my children. They they just can't. Like, 
well, if they can't, then how, how does that even begin yeah. to work? Um, I think that that goes back to what I talked about earlier and like in the dating phases of being more intentional, having those conversations ahead of time. Like there is so much that we can talk about just at dinner when we first start dating that will assure us that we don't need to get married. We will know that ahead of time. Like if you're having these conversations around like, listen, I have a, a teenager. I've raised him all my life. You know, his dad isn't here or his mom because I don't want to assume it's always one or the other. And this is the way we navigate things. This is what happens whenever I have to discipline him. It's working for us. I I can appreciate you being a role model for him, but I really, I'm handling the discipline part pretty well. And are you okay with that? Or are you one who has to assert his or her authority? You know what I mean? Like if they're saying, oh no, I'm good. I would, you know, if you got it, I'm good. Okay, then that's not a, that's not a conversation. So just having the conversation, I always say, have the conversation about the conversation. <laughs> like, just talk about it. So many times we don't want to talk about stuff. We don't want to make things awkward. Things are going really well. And so I don't want to, you know, throw us off with these uh, serious conversations, but they're so necessary. You have to have them before you get married. You just have to. Because you're raising your kids one way, he's raising his kids one way, and you're going to put all that together. You have to talk about that ahead of time. What do you want from me in terms of being available to your children? Do you want me to discipline your children? How does that, what does that look like in your family right now? This is what it looks like in mine. We don't, we don't do uh, spankings and beatings over here. We do time out, you know, or whatever you do. How can we make these two things work? It's just so important. Have a conversation. Talk about it. Every detail is so important. Talk about it. That's good. All right. Now, we have brought up dating a few <laughs> times now. <laughs> That's where I'm at. I'm in my, I'm, I'm, I'm in the dating world. I'm, mm-hmm. in the, I'm in the pool. I'm in the pool. And of course, I've heard a lot of people say, well, there's pee in there. There's poop in there. Oh, it's just trash. That okay, hasn't been my experience. Personally, I've been out That's there having a fantastic time. But what do you feel then are some good conversations that you should be having as you progress in dating? So I would always talk about, you know, listen, we're 20, 30, 40 years old. We're not talking about your favorite color anymore. I can find that out at a different time. Okay. Let's talk about these dynamics, like these ACs and this trauma, which, you know, I don't, if you're, for your listeners who aren't familiar with ACs, they're adverse childhood experiences. And so there's a scale of about 10 questions where it asks you, you know, have you been um, neglected? Did you have a parent that was incarcerated? Did you have a parent that had mental illness? Were you sexually abused? Were you physically abused? Were you physically neglected? So there's all these questions, right? What's your score? What's your number? Where are you falling at in this category in terms of life? What's happened to you? These are serious topics because they will inevitably show up in that relationship. And sometimes people are like, oh, well, we've been together for two years and we got married and then all of a sudden, this person changed, <laughs> right? We, I know we both have heard that. And it's like, I don't know if they changed or if we just overlooked some things or if our expectations changed, right? It's like, surely you're not going to, you know, talk to other women when we get married. Yeah, he probably will if he's doing it right now, Right. Surely she's going to do a better job of keeping the house clean when we get married. She probably won't if she's not doing it now. 
<laughs> right? So let's have these conversations ahead of time that that get to the meat of what sustains a, a marriage, not what's your favorite food and what's your, that's cute, but we got to get serious about who are you? What what was your mom and dad like? How were you raised? How are you parented? That's what's important. So I'm like my husband I always like you always like to go deep. I do. <laughs> like let's go deep. <laughs> like that's where the substance is. We gotta go deep, and then I tell him we go deep, and then you go to sleep because it's too much. <laughs> but I process all day. Right. <laughs> and, but I feel like that is what that's what sustains you because. Even I realized some of the stakes that I made dating early on in my early 20s was that I didn't ask enough questions. Like it, it was, what's your favorite color? Oh, what's your favorite song? Oh, what is your favorite genre? Oh my God, we got so much chemistry and we ain't talked about nothing. nothing. <laughs> we haven't talked about nothing. anything of substance to get to the heart of the matter. So, I mean, I think it is really good for us to have those those um conversations and then going back to what you were saying the aces so i imagine there's kind of like what is it like a low and high or low and high risk yeah so the the higher the number the the greater you are at other things like you know physical illnesses mental illnesses and even if you even if it's a one right so having a parent that uh let's say for was in jail might be may not be as heavy as somebody who was molested. So even though y'all both have a score of one, you know it, the impact is going to be different. But it's important. So and I think the highest is a ten. And these are things that happened before you were 17, 18 years old. So just depending on what your score is, you're probably going to be more at risk for probably not. You can't handle an argument without getting physical, possibly. You know, did you see domestic violence in your home? Did you see your mom get abused? Did your dad get abused? Like, tell me about, you know, what you saw coming up as a kid. Mm-hmm. That's important. 2021, we just got, I, my, I guess my word is intentional. We got to be intentional about everything. <laughs> we have to be intentional. I'll find out you're calling your favorite flowers later. That was definitely my word for the year, but was being um, intentional for 2021. That That was definitely yeah. it. So as you were talking, my next question then is, let's say someone's way of handling things is leaving. Mm. And maybe for their spouse, their trigger is someone leaving. So now, so so how does one then navigate mm. that? If you relieve stress by leaving the house, but now the other spouse feels neglected or left behind because you've left and now they feel like you're leaving them. How do you address that? Mm. That's so good. Oh my gosh. Like that was my response. Um, I'm like, listen, okay. We arguing about the car. Like, let's just, let's just divorce. You know, I don't really know what else to do. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just go and sign the paperwork. Okay. Because I can't deal. And that was just my way of responding. Like, it's just a go. Because that was the way I had handled everything in my pre, like before I got married. Like, if you hurt me, okay, you got to go. I don't know what else to do with you. I don't know how to coexist with a person who has hurt me. So if you've hurt me, you just got to go. But once you're married, obviously there's no going. Wow. I feel like, honestly, like if you don't have emotionally intelligent people, you guys are just going to be triggering all over the place. 
and I hate to say it like that, but it will probably ultimately end in divorce unless there is some intervention. There is somebody who can come in and say, listen, this is what's happening and we got to get a handle on it. Because otherwise, again, that person doesn't recognize that they're being triggered, which is why they're leaving, because they don't know how to work through that by staying. And then the other person don't see it as, okay, he's triggered and that's why he's leaving. He's not leaving me. He's not like, like, we're not thinking about that in the moment. We're just responding to what we're experiencing. And so that's, you definitely going to have to have somebody to intervene there. You have to. Um, and, and hopefully it gets to a place early where you're like, we need help and not saying we just need to divorce. That, that, and that's what happened for us, right? Like I was like, we just need to get, we, we just got to get out of here. I mean, we hadn't even been a year in yet. And I was like, listen, it's time to go. We, this ain't working. And we had mentors at the time who were like, no, y'all just need somebody to intervene. And that's what happened for us. And then we're still here 12 years later. But without an intervention, we would have divorced. I think that's really important too, because that's definitely one thing that, that we did not have um, in my prior marriage was, as they say, marriage champions or mentors. And that was, again, because I didn't see that many yes. marriages. Mm-hmm. And then I don't, I don't even, I don't even know if it was bought up to us at all. Or even as we came across married couples, I don't think anyone asked like, Hey, who is keeping y'all accountable? Who is doing it? Yeah. But I think it's so crucial for you to have, not only have marriage mentors, but actually have other married couple friends that actually yeah. like their spouse. <laughs> That's important. That's very important. Yeah, because if not, it could it could turn out into a whole gripe session. Be like, oh, you don't like yours either. I don't like mine. I'm like, I'm thinking about leaving. We want to go downtown together. We can file together. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's like you got to have the right circle of people so that y'all can make sure that you survive and. Two kind of key terms that I've heard in these social media streets. One is attachment styles Mm. and another is trauma bonding. Mm. So I was wondering Mm -hmm. if you could speak to both of those and especially with trauma bonding, because I think it in some, I don't know, the definition seems to evolve to me. I don't know. But it seems like for some people, it seems like it's more towards, I guess, women per se, because we tend to be the more nurturing one. Mm -hmm. So then if we find out or we discover that someone has been hurt, then all of a sudden we latch onto them Mm -hmm. because we just want to make sure that everything is good and everything is better and coddle them and just be like, I am the one for you. I can help you. I can fix you. You know, yeah. <laughs> kind of is that trauma bonding or or what exactly is trauma bonding? Yeah, that can that, that's a form of it. It's they can also be a little bit of codependency, um, what you were describing. So in terms of uh attachment styles, well, you can have secure attachment and there, there's so many different ones, avoidant, things like that. And some of that is kind of based on what you were talking about, like whenever a person leaves, um, I feel neglected. Right. So that's that attachment there where I process everything as you're neglecting me. You didn't say good morning to me. You didn't tell me I was beautiful. I feel neglected. You know, it can be any number of things that always looks different. So that's the attachment. 
And that, that's been coined as coming from the way you were parented. So whether or not you, you formed this secure attachment with your mom, how was she able to um, nurture you whenever you got upset? Um, was she able to calm you down or did you look for other people to calm you down? So that kind of dynamic in mothering and really early, early, really early on. Trauma bonding is a little bit kind of like what you described, but it's like we have, we both have similar traumas and we're bonded based on that. So it's like your mom wasn't there for you. My mom wasn't there for me either. We kind of have that in common and we're bonding based on our trauma histories. Like I understand you, you get me because we've had similar experiences. Um, My dad was in jail, your dad was in jail, or I know what it's like to be neglected. I know what it's like. And so we're bonded and we're connected because of these similar experiences. And then in terms of codependency, you know, some of that is kind of like, I'm not well unless my husband is well. I can't be happy unless he's happy. And so I spend my life making sure that he's happy. Okay, babe, did you have anything? You sure you had enough to eat? Because, oh my gosh, he's upset. What did I do wrong? What can I do? You know, it's, it's you're not well if he's not well. Um, and so one of my colleagues described it as peanut butter and jelly with codependency. And she said, they're both good by themselves, but they're good. They're better together. So I'm good. I'm good without you. You're good without me, but we're great. You know, we're still good together. So that's a little bit of, and so that's, a, that, that brings me to something else that I posted. And I think I was talking about don't pick or don't let pain be your picker. Because when you pick from a place of pain, when you heal, you're going to want something different. And that can also be one of the reasons why we say people change when they get married. It's like, well, no, you probably changed because you probably needed to be coddled. You needed to be nurtured. You needed to be all these things. And now you've gotten better. It's like, I don't really need that anymore. You know, I'm good. I don't need X, Y, and Z that I needed in the beginning. That's when I get turned off, right? So all of those different things kind of play into, you know, having the conversation, doing your work before you start dating, healing ahead of time so that you're not looking for guys who need to be mothered, right? Because once you heal, it's like, I ain't got no time to be your mama. Yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> off like that, though. You know, right. he's still his mama. He hadn't healed yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I've got two more questions for you that, okay. that came from uh, my good Instagram people. One was, how do you address those who don't see the point of marriage? So they're in a committed relationship. They're willing to do all the things Mm -hmm. except get married because what's the point? It's just a piece of paper. Yeah, we've all heard that. That's a really good question. And I, you know, the way I would answer that is it may not be a point, just depending on your your belief system, right? You know, a lot of people who are Christians, obviously people who are in the faith, they are going to say, yes, absolutely, you should get married because it's, you know, it's what the Bible says that we're supposed to do. We shouldn't be, you know, having sex and all these things without being married. So if that's your belief, then you're going to, there is a point for marriage. But I know that outside of that, right, like when we are not heavily concerned about religion and that kind of thing, it, it can be like, well, I mean, we're doing good. So why do we need papers to prove anything why not just keep doing it and i think that that's just a personal conviction you know what i mean like obviously i think people should be married but there you know you have people who would say well you know i i only want to be with you and let's just make this official you know and you have some people say well i know you ain't going nowhere i know i'm not going nowhere 
we don't need to do it. So I just think that's a matter of personal conviction. I really do. I think it has a lot to do with mindset. It has a lot to do with culture, how you were, how you were raised, what you saw. It's, I think it's personal conviction outside of Christian faith. It's personal conviction. Yeah, I think that's a good point. All in all in personal preference. Of mm-hmm. course, when you add state into it and and legal things, of yeah. course, being married makes things a whole lot easier. Absolutely. But it's definitely certainly about preference. Because, I mean, if you did up some paperwork, then by all means, you know, there it is. Right. <laughs> right. Like you said, Let your wishes be known. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, like I said, some people do handle it like business. You know, I've heard of that kind of conversation, too. Like it's a business situation. I don't know. But I, that's why I, I kind of like to leave it in the category of personal conviction. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the last question that I got was from one of my guys in the audience. And they said, what is the driving factor behind Black women's fear of releasing power? <laughs> what's your take? What's your take on that? I mean, I can give mine, but you, I've got you on here for a reason. No, so I think um, it's kind of like what we talked about, right? Like that's what we saw. Typically, we see our moms grinding and we see our moms going to get it. We see our moms working two jobs. And even though she doesn't say, hey, Courtney, or you need to do X, Y, and Z, it's what we saw. Um, And especially we didn't see a male figure there. So if our dad wasn't there and mom was holding it down, that's what we know to do. Also, if we had dad there, but he was passive, because that happens a lot too. We have men in the home, but they're very passive or they're not present physically. And so we see mom holding it down and that's what we do. And then on the other side of that is we need to trust that you can get it done, right? Like I need to know that I can, I can count on you to do X, Y, and Z. And so if there are moments when I don't trust that you can do it, then I'm going to do it. And that's just what it is because it has to get done. And I've experienced that myself. Like if I know that, and it starts to be like this, revolving door kind of like so it's like if you have the woman who's making the decisions and then the man who wants to make the decisions but he sees you making them so then he stands off and not say anything and it's like well I want you to make the decisions but you won't say anything and he's like but you keep making the decisions so I don't say <laughs> <laughs> right like you're not moving right. fast enough like, sir that's right. why <laughs> like, I need to be confident that you can handle this um and so I think that 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 there's some fear of that. And we don't want to be dependent. Again, that goes back to what we saw. We don't want to feel like if you walk away from us, we don't, we're not solid. I think that, that that's a component of it. But that comes with building trust, right? That means you have to show up in a way that says, I got you. I'm, I'm going to support you. I'm here. I want to be here. And then I think that that vulnerability starts to kind of be a little bit easier. But in the beginning, you know, we just kind of, we kind of going by what we know until you show us you can handle. And, and, and that's what I think, especially for, for us black women, we just kind of raise, like, I know my mom was like, you need to go to school, get your education, get you a good job so that you ain't got to stay with no man that's beating the hell out of you, <laughs> is what she would say. You have your own resources. And it's true. How many of us women are in relationships because we need that man for stability, for finances, for all the things. And so, you know, but as you heal and you grow, as long as he's showing up and he shows you that you can be vulnerable, I think that that will kind of come off a little bit. What do you think about it? 
Well, that you said my key word. My key word was vulnerability because I feel like the majority of us black women were raised to be strong black women. So going back to what you were talking about, about going to school, making the good grades, getting Mm -hmm. the money so that you don't have to depend on anybody once you do that. And then, of course, when you I feel like when you go to these working environments, you feel like there's a certain mask, per se, that you have to put on to where you do, you are this strong superwoman. You've got the cape on. It's just flapping Mm -hmm. back there in the wind. And then it's like you get to your husband and you don't even know how to take the cape off because you're not used to that because everywhere else that you've been, you've had to be that strong, independent person. And I tell you what, if I take this cape off, and you drop me, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. And so I think for whoever asked the question, like if you're married and you're in that situation, you can have a conversation with your wife and say, hey, baby, I see you, like you're holding it down. You are doing an amazing job, but I want to support you. Like, let me take X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Like, let, I just want to take some of the load off. And just have a conversation. How does it look if I support you in this? You, you, you'd be breathing a lot easier if I were to support you in this one area or whatever. Just to kind of build up her trust. Because like you said, if I, if I relinquish this control and give you this and you drop the ball, like, listen, it's going to be another decade before I'm willing to trust you again. So you got to be careful. Yes, like I'll never do it again. Mm-hmm. And I and I think it goes back to the point where it, it kind of it's the same way for men. So like if a man opens up to you and he exposes his most vulnerable inner parts and pieces and you throw it back in his face, yeah, oh, oh, it's going to be a long day. If ever. Or he never. It, right. If ever, if he does that again. And I, and I kind of feel like for a woman, it's the same yeah. way. If she... If she releases, if she relinquishes that and you say, I got you and you don't, oh, oh, sir. Yeah. And then consistency is a big part yeah. of it too. So if you say, hey, let me do this for you. And and she says, okay, great. Yes, absolutely. You And then you don't. Or if you told me you was going to take out the trash yeah. Yeah. and and we stacking trash and it's overflowing and I'm pushing the trash yeah. down. Right. I'm putting it around the trash. And then I finally take the trash out. And you ask me, well, why you take out the trash? You knew I was going to do it. Well, sorry, it didn't look evident to me that you were. And then that's why I did it. That's true. It's so true. <laughs> and then he's like, well, I mean, if I forget, she's going to do it. And it's like, yeah, but I'm doing it because you keep. And so it just. It just yeah. A, 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 a vicious circle. Yeah. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here is the very, very last question, because this has been a great conversation. So the very last question is, what advice would you give to your sister, could be younger sister, older sister, whatever, any kind of sister, about trauma, family dynamics, and just the effects that it has on marriage? Yeah, I would say to not be afraid to explore just what could be underlying right underneath the surface because when we are afraid to explore that then we neglect it we don't want to talk about it we don't have the conversations and so then we keep attracting guys from our place of pain and if you had spent just a little bit more time doing the work 
a little bit more time exploring to see what's underneath the surface, whether that's self-exploration, self-analysis, or with the help of a licensed trained person. If you had spent a little bit more time, you probably wouldn't make that make a poor decision. So I would say spend some time going deep and seeing just what's what's underlying at the surface. That's good. Like attracts like and you you attract people from the from the yeah. position and the place that you're in. So if you're yeah. happy, healthy, and whole, that's what you bring. But if you are in pain and barely holding it together, yeah. that's what you're gonna attract. That is then what you attract. What yeah. You're so that's a very good point. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for joining me today. I definitely had, as you see, some interesting conversations from my audience. <laughs> they, were, they were all good questions. So I, listen, I might have to have you back on every season just to give us a tune-up. <laughs> <laughs> that would oh, be good. It. I love having conversations. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a fantastic day. I will. You do the same. Was that not a great conversation with Courtney? I love the fact that we could be educated and still have a few laughs in the process. All right, so let me officially introduce you to Courtney so that you know how awesome she is. Courtney Lloyd is a Louisiana native with 12 years of experience in mental health. Courtney is a licensed addiction counselor with certifications in both clinical trauma and rehabilitation counseling. She is also uniquely positioned as a student and a teacher. She is an adjunct professor of psychology at Southern University and A&M College, and she is a doctoral candidate at Liberty University with research interests in ACEs and academic performance in black students attending HBCUs. Courtney owns a private practice where she helps women heal from trauma. She also serves as a member of the National Coalition of 100 Black Women Incorporated, Metropolitan Baton Rouge Chapter, where she unapologetically advocates on behalf of Black women and girls to promote leadership development and gender equity in areas of health, education, and economic empowerment. All right, so places where you can find Courtney, you can find her on Instagram at CourtneyJ.Lloyd, and I'll have all this in the show notes. You can also find her by the same name on YouTube, and you can even go to her website, CourtneyLloyd.com. Again, I will have all the information in the show notes. All right, so with that said, there was something that I said at the very end of the first episode that I love so much that I think I'm actually going to adopt that and kind of make that the ending of all the episodes. And that is, sis, there is no one like you. There is no one out here that can do the things that you do. So show up, let your light shine bright, and never dim it for anyone. Until next time, bye. (laughs) 